0: Hello, this is Rob Nesbitt and this is the Nessie on Brass podcast. In this first edition Nigel Seaman talks to Rodney Newton about his long and varied career. Before I hand you over I'd like to tell you about the format of the podcast. Each guest will have a brass band or brass connection and will come from all walks of brass life. So if you fancy appearing on the show or would like to do a blog interview, please email us via the contact page on the nezionbrass.com website. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Nigel Seaman for offering to do some of the interviews. As next BBC host of over 30 years, conductor, player, adjudicator and brass tutor, I have been extremely lucky. He has the marvellous skill of getting the best out of our guests with his wealth of experience and talent behind the microphone. I'd also like to thank Andrew Jones of andrewjonesmusic.com who plays all parts in the multi-track intro and outro music for the podcast and a special thanks to Michael Linsky who gave kind permission to use his arrangement of this Gershwin classic. So enough of me here's Nigel with our first guest.
1: Uh, Rodney Newton is one of Britain's foremost composers. Uh, In the world of brass, he's well-known and highly respected for many published works and arrangements. I may be to say that uh, Rodney's here. Uh, Hello, Rod. How are you?
2: Hello, Nigel. I'm
1: fine. It's okay to call you Rod, isn't it? Everybody calls you Rod. It is indeed. I'd rather be called Rod. (laughs) Okay, well, let's start right at the beginning, really. I'm sure the listeners would like to know a little bit about your your background to, well, all your facets of of your career. What about playing, first of all?
2: Uh, I I was going to say, how many hours have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I started as an orchestral player, uh, firstly with the BBC in Bristol, with the old BBC Training Orchestra, a postgraduate orchestra that they uh, set up for some years, about six years, I think. Then I freelanced um, from the Midlands, working with uh, the BBC Welsh Orchestra, as as was in those days, and the BBC Northern, the Welsh National Opera, um, Scottish Opera, CBSO, and then I um, got involved with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra in London, and I moved down to London and was working with the uh, the RPO, the um, Philharmonia, BBC Symphony, and the um, uh, did a lot of touring with the uh, Festival Ballet, as 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 it was then. It was now now the English National Ballet, but um, all the time I wrote music. I've all, I've written music since I was about 12 years old. Uh, I was a co-first uh, study composer at college mm-hmm. and, uh, in Birmingham and uh, composing is something I've always done. Um, so that was the first uh, leg of my career. Mm-hmm. When I was in Bristol, I wrote some music for the World Service and BBC Hospital Radio as well as for the um, uh, pilot series of uh, what became BBC Radio Bristol. So um, I had a bit of professional experience to start with. Then mm-hmm. when I um, joined uh, English National Opera, when I got a, a real day job, um, uh, it was subtle as well as in those days of course, yeah. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I began to uh, write music quite pro- prolifically, largely concert music of a serious vein. I wasn't much interested in um, working in in light music in those days. Then I became involved in writing music for films and television. I uh, did a course at London Film School. I studied with Richard Arnell, and uh, I I was lucky enough to get myself um, a job as co-composer and musical director on a big wildlife series, having already um, assisted Carl Davis on a feature film. And um, that sort of started me off on the road. Then uh, when that's all went pear-shaped, these things uh, tend to do, because media work is very fickle and uh, you can't rely on it. I moved sideways into higher education and became very heavily involved with uh, brass bands, uh, notably uh, Williams fairy, uh the fairy Band of today, uh, thanks to James Gourlay. Um, Bob Childs uh, befriended me and uh, commissioned pieces from me, as did um, uh, Philip McCann. So you see, I was very lucky to start off right at the top. Indeed. I would say I'll probably work my way down after that. <laughs> um, Jim took me into, uh, <clears throat> having written a, piece, a few pieces for um, uh, his Swiss brass band, Brass band but Roberland. Mm. Um, I started to work with Fairy Band, and then, of course, when Bob Childs became uh, musical director of uh, Cory, I started to work with them. And that—that's virtually as it how it went. And sort of, sort of bu- built up bands along the way. So, uh, and of course, uh, I kept a, a toehold in um, film music uh, by teaching at uh, London Film School. I taught, among other people. Um, the composer Rob Lane, who uh, made a great success with his uh, music for the series Merlin and yeah. uh, many other things, and uh, here I am today. Um, I've uh, I've resigned from my teaching positions, and uh, of course, as you know, I was nine for nine years. I was uh, features editor of British Bandsman magazine, which brought mm. me into contact with a lot of uh, brass players. And uh, I keep in touch with a great, great number of them. I mean, goodness knows how many Facebook friends I've had. Most, mm. most of them are all tuba. Most of them are tuba players, oh, <laughs> or just... euphonium players. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, at least I've, if, if nothing else, I'm well known in the in the in the world of the tuba. <laughs> yeah. When's your autobiography coming out then? <laughs> I'm sorry. When's my autobiography? Yes, yes. I am, I am writing one actually. <laughs> oh, well, you are. Know. Well. Nigel I no. was I've been bullied into it by a number of people I'm writing two I'm writing one that can be published in which I say nice things about everybody and one <laughs> for my friends in which I tell the truth
1: uh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> very good well that's uh, I mean you've basically given me the whole career in a nutshell there but if we well, got right back
2: so, yeah. is that the end of the interview that's it goodbye
1: <laughs> <laughs> But go back to the Birmingham School of Music, is where uh, where you studied. That's if I remember yes. rightly, what you're telling me. What, what was it like studying there? What, grim. Were you a model a model student?
2: It was grim, Nigel. It really was. We didn't have half the uh, room, half the facilities that we have today. There were some very good teachers on the staff, but I mean, for instance, um, the the percussion uh, teaching was carried out by Ernest Parsons, who was the timpidist of the, BBC, of the um, City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, the founder member of the orchestra. And the equipment was an old set of hand-screw timps that his father had made for Sir Granville Bantock, um, and odd bits of percussion, an old rope-tension bass drum that had belonged to the CBSO in the 20s, and... Um, a number of other bits of gear that had belonged to a, a man called Leslie Lewis, who had been a been principal percussion with the CBSO. He'd got a job with the BBC uh, Theatre Orchestra, and he died on the first morning of his of his contract. So his widow left the uh, the equipment, which was rather elderly, mm. to um, to the college, and that that was about it. Um, the college orchestra really was a bit rough. I mean, we we were not able to do anything um, remotely. Uh, challenging uh there was a composer two composers uh students with me at, at in birmingham one was called um uh, paul Venn, who uh, was very interested in uh, contemporary music and the other was uh, brian Ferniho, who came, went on to become a very eminent um composer mm-hmm. but um both uh Ben and Verdiho virtually had to teach themselves because the the syllabus in those days precluded any study of contemporary music at all um, what i did i I'd followed the a r c m course, which I think was appalling i don 't know what they were trying to turn out, but it wasn 't a composer i, I don 't think it was somebody who could write in the right I don't know, hymn or something in the style of Mendelssohn and uh, do a bit of improvisation on the piano. That, 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 that was as much as it was in those days. I'm very glad that I did study some aspects of it because I did a lot of uh, work in fugue, fugal writing and counterpoint, which freed my music up because it was becoming rather stodgy. Um, mm. And my teacher encouraged me to think in lines, but uh, it was all um, restricted to very, very basic uh, harmony of the 19th century. And uh, I think the only time I wrote uh, in any other style was if I wrote for myself any free music, which I taught myself, or I, um, a little bit came up in the exam, um, the ARCM exam, where I had to set a stanza of poetry and I defiantly set it but uh, gave it a modal setting. It sounded rather like Vaughan Williams, mm. and the examiner liked that. And I have a feeling that the examiner in those days may have been Herbert Howells, and well, he would have responded yeah. to that. He yeah. made a very nice comment. But the the comments on the rest of my um, my exam were were not particularly favourable, and uh, I failed the keyboard harmony. Section mainly because I, I've firstly, I, I've always been a lousy keyboard player. I can't play anything now because I've got a mm. having had a stroke, I can't put my right arm properly. But, um, in those days, I was always a lousy keyboard player, and the college had messed my course up by not giving me the three years of keyboard armory studies I should have had. So, I went into the exam completely unprepared. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, it was not exactly a, no. a, a wild success, but never mind. I've I reasoned to myself that I, I didn't need uh. The the RCM anyway, because I'd got a job with the BBC and um, it's only in recent years that I've gone back to school and I've picked up a a master's degree and uh, I've just completed a, a doctorate.
1: It's important to state that these colleges are now a lot better organized, aren't they?
2: The colleges nowadays are unbelievable. I mean the, the I feel like I, I I do feel very envious of them because I, I wish I could go back to college myself because I could learn so much more. Mm. You know, I mean when I think of I was talking this morning to uh, to Lee Phillips, the the arranger and teacher and uh, the things that he studied when he was at at school even, he was studying, uh, I think it was Penderecki or something yeah. like that. I mean, <laughs> you know, that would be unbelievable to study anybody uh, contemporary. Yeah. We did have occasionally at college, uh, Gordon Cross came in to, uh, to talk about a new piece of his once, but uh, that was about the only contact we had with any um, contemporary composer, other than the fact that I took part in uh, a performance of Aeschylus' Agamemnon at Birmingham University with a uh, music by Jean Joubert, mm-hmm. who was a lecturer at the University of those days. And that, that was my only connection with, with contemporary music. Mm. The rest you had to glean by going to the CBSO concerts, buying records and listening to the radio, yeah. and virtually teaching yourself, which is what uh, Brian Fernio had to do.
1: What about those uh, 11 years that you spent in the orchestra of what was um, Sadler's Wells in those days? Of course, you mentioned about the English National Opera. Yeah. Um how do you get into a percussion section of the orchestra um with difficulty <laughs> <laughs> uh, you well, it was rather
2: different in those days. I was invited to join um, really? hmm. normally, you audition, and uh, these days they make you sometimes audition behind a screen and uh then you you get a short list up from that, so then people are given trials, and the guy that did the best trial gets the job um. That wasn't quite the way it was done in those days. In The London orchestras particularly, um, if the section wanted a particular player, they were privately approached. Are you interested in this job? Well, wow. Then you went up to have an interview with the um, orchestral manager. And in my case, it was old Charles Coverman, dear old Charlie. Somebody looked at his uh, book of extras. He had three cellists on it and they were all dead. <laughs> <laughs> And old Charlie, uh, he, he talked to me for a, it was the easiest interview. I didn't play a note because the uh, the principal player had, had already worked with me. He knew exactly what I was like. Mm. Everybody knew me down there, they knew who I was and what mm. I'd done. Um, some of them had worked with me with the training orchestra in, in Bristol and in other orchestras. So I, I was a known quantity. The The job had come up and I was privately approached um, Are you interested in the sub principal job at, at Sadler's Wells? Mm. And I said, Mm, yes, <laughs> yes like, like a shot.
1: Give me a nanosecond and, to think about it, yes. Yeah.
2: yeah, and then uh, then old um, Charlie gave me a, a, well, I don't think it was an interview. He said, Right, oh, oh Mr. Newton, oh, let's see what you've done. Oh, yes, oh, oh, oh you'll be Welsh National Opera and Scottish Opera. I'd forgotten there were any other opera companies. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I suppose all I need to ask you is when you can start. <laughs> Extra. And uh, the interview was in, uh, in, in, I think it was in November, mm. and my contract was dated 31st of December, <laughs> wow. 1973. So Cause, uh, cause... 70, 3rd of January, 74, I did my first rehearsal with um, Sutter's Wells um, as sub-principal percussion. I progressed to become co-principal percussion and then principal timpanist over those um over those eleven years, yeah. uh, I learnt an immense amount uh, uh, from the, uh, as a composer. Uh, of course, obviously, I'd, I'd worked with all the other London orchestras uh, at the time. Uh, particularly interesting was the work I did with the BBC because Pierre Boulez was principal conductor then. Lots no, of I got lots, lots of
1: crash bound wall in those days. Then.
2: Oh yes, that's the new to computer himself, you know, <laughs> and uh, we. Um, I got to play uh, um, Stockhausen's uh, Gruppen under his direction mm. and two other conductors as well. I got to play all sorts of things. I did the... On Timps, on I remember doing the... Um, the first broadcast of Paul Patterson's Trumpet Concerto with John Wilbraham as soloist and Elgar Howarth as conductor. It was the first time I'd met either of them, and that led to a, a lifelong friendship with all of them, mm-hmm. all three gentlemen, till till dear old Jumbo died. And and I, I'm still friendly with Gary, with Gary Howarth, of course. Yeah. Um. And of course, as a composer, I learnt an immense amount. Uh learning music from the inside of the orchestra. You'll know this yourself. It's The best way to learn a piece is by playing it and Mm. watching it put together in rehearsal and so on and seeing the orchestration happen before your very eyes. Mm. I learnt an enormous amount about that. uh, More importantly, not about what you can do, but what
1: you shouldn't do. I I, I I wish wish more composers took heed of that, really, because sometimes the uh, the demands uh, are really... So yeah,
2: I mean, I mean, a wind player or a string player would say, "Cool, that's jolly difficult." That page, look at that. You know, you don't ever write like that, will you? Mm. You know, and um, you learn a lot that way. And and I also um, was privileged to work with a number of leading composers on a one-to-one basis: Harrison Birtwistle, oh. um, uh, Gordon Cross. Uh, George, uh, George Ligeti and um, marvellous Sir Michael Tippett, mm. who whose um, uh, fourth symphony I played with the LSO under his direction. Mm. Uh, he was the most frightening conductor i've ever worked with he, he'd write bars like two four plus five in 16 without having yeah. the slightest idea how to conduct them <laughs> 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 he yeah. he said uh, at one rehearsal oh try to keep playing i'm trying to get it right <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Well, you, of course, you, you said 11 years in the uh, in sat uh, as well, and i did uh, a little bit less than I did, about two and a half, I think, years at the Welsh National Opera, and I oh. certainly know from my time there that uh, things opera wise can probably go more wrong cause, than they do in ordinary concerts. And here oh, on Nezio on, on Brass, we do occasionally ask ask the guests to give us a couple of um, instances of things which uh, have gone disastrously oh, wrong. Oh yes,
2: so I, I can give you again. How many hours have you got? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean loads of things. I remember um, there. The biggest problem with a an opera job or a ballet job is the fact that you get to know the repertory pieces very, very well. Mm. You get to know them too well. So everybody's on automatic pilot when it comes to La Traviata or Tosca or things like that. You've done it hundreds of times. You know exactly how it goes. And one evening, we were doing Madame Butterfly with a not very good American conductor. Uh, a nice chap, but uh, he wasn't really that competent. He'd been uh, engaged at the, uh, the uh, insistence of the singer, who, the, the, the principal singer, who'd sung Butterfly with him elsewhere. And we were near the end of the opera, and it was all puddling along in its normal way, and something went wrong on stage. I don't know what happened, but somehow the stage got a bar and a half out with a pit. Mm. And all he did was to shake his head. He didn't give us any help and wait until it all got back together again. There was another occasion, and this is a good example of what what, what happens to bring things back into line. Uh, we were doing Goethe Demmerum with uh, a conductor who shall be nameless. And there's, um, in the blood brotherhood scene in the first act, uh, where Siegfried and Gunther are swearing blood brotherhood, and uh, there's a, a pause on a top note for Siegfried, and the conductor, unfortunately, went on beating instead of making the pause that had been there for a 100 years. <laughs> uh, half the orchestra went with the conductor and half went with the singer. And I thought, oh, my goodness, it's going to fall apart. It really is. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was there holding the top note while half the orchestra had carried on into the next bar, realizing it was wrong and stopped playing. And the trombones saved the day. They oh, so. played their next entrance. Bam, 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 bam. Uh, they, they, well, they just looked at each other and said, right, boys, now. And that <laughs> brought him back onto track. The conductor sort of was turning over pages and pages, and nobody was following him at all. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the way it happened. In, in that case, it was, it was the orchestra that saved the day. A uh, similar thing happened once in the Rite of Spring. Which I was playing with an orchestra and conductor, a very, very famous conductor and a very good one. Who shall become? Who shall again be nameless? But um, there's bits in, uh, as you probably know, in the Rites of Spring, the uh, the beginning of the sacrificial dance. Mm. There's a fast seven-eight, um, uh, interspersed in, 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 in with bars of uh, of nine-eight. On button, button, batten 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 Nine eight being beaten in three, he beat two on one performance. Oh, yeah, yeah. The horn stopped playing. I missed my next beat because I thought it, it all. All of a sudden, it started. It yeah. didn't sound familiar anymore. I think, well, what, what are we playing? <laughs> <And> <laughs> again, the band got it back onto track very, very quickly.
1: That's that's so, usually the, the case, isn't it? When conductors the, cock it up, it's the band yes, that that you, you just pulls them to through. You just yeah.
2: have to. So, so I mean that, that that sort of thing happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. It happens to the best people, yeah. ha- and can be for of a variety of uh, instances. It not not through necessarily through um, through any incompetence, just a uh, just a, a momentary lack uh, a momentary lack of concentration, just well, a mistake well. that can happen to the
1: best people. That's why they're called car crashes, isn't it? Because no, aren't yes, no, <laughs> One okay, lapse it, it, of concentration. You
2: hope that the audience doesn't notice. Nine times out of ten, they don't. Yeah. Mm. And that, unless there's a really serious error. Nine okay. 10, well, well it's,
1: it's time to move on now, I think, to hear about your brass compositions, because I heard a lot about your uh, your playing career and your yep. history there. Uh, I got written down here that Echoes of the East is one of your best-known works for brass band. Tell us about that. Uh,
2: Echoes of the East was commissioned by Corey Band, um it was commissioned for the farewell gala concert for the European breastband um championships when it was given in Glasgow. Um sadly Corey didn't do very well in the contest, not as well as expected and got a disappointing result. Mm. And um they were all a bit uh a bit despondent and didn't feel, really feel like uh, doing the Carla concert, I said to him, look, lads, you go out there as if you own the place, and you show them you don't care about their bad results and adjudicators, you play your best, and that's the way to do it, that's the way they did it. And uh, what I'd given them was um, I'd become very interested in, in the music of uh, Romania and Bulgaria and Eastern Europe in, in general. I was interested in Eastern music uh, um for many years, I've been interested in Eastern music uh, of the of the Middle East, and. I... That of course spills over into music of the of the Near East, uh, of Eastern Europe, and uh, th- this attracted my attention. And I love the the Bulgarian rhythms and the, the the fiery Romanian dances. So I did a suite of um, various folk uh, melodies from the the various regions. Uh, I came across a recording of a band called Fanfare I Don't know if you've ever come across no, them. No. Uh, well, Jim gourlay said they were they, they actually came to the concert in Manchester. They are Romanian gypsies, at least they say right and um well, shall we say anything within a semitone will do
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are mm. they
2: are the roughest, loudest band i've ever, uh on record I should think mm-hmm. and uh, I took uh, one of the, a couple of their pieces and turned them into uh uh, a, a piece for um, brass band and then wind band, and I hope I've caught the, uh, the character of, of this piece. And of course, Corey turned it into a into a showpiece and had people standing up. And uh, the xylophone player for his little bar re- reels his instrument out in front of the band and plays a couple of bars, and then wheels it back again, and oh. everybody laughs. And uh, it's a it, it's that kind of a, a of a fun piece.
1: Yeah, uh, And another of your pieces, which I know is featured on a. On, you mentioned Corey; they've got their CD called Wildfire, and it's the King of Elfland's daughter.
2: Yes, now that was uh, commissioned by Corey as a fill-up. <laughs> Pop yeah. Childs rang up and said, "Rod, I've got a. We're doing a CD uh, in two weeks' time." Uh, two weeks. Yeah, two weeks' time. I had. Uh, <laughs> I think written in about ten days. I think. Uh, it said have you got anything that could fit in uh, of of a modernish nature? Because there's, it's all Nigel Clark and uh, and so uh, and that sort of music and and David Bedford, and we need something that that uh, as a fill-up. So okay, so I put my 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 little brain into gear, and I came up with this idea. I've I'd been reading Lord Dunsain, his, um lovely story, The King of Elfland's Daughter, and. Uh, I decided that I would write uh, a brass band piece around that. It's a little bit more modern than uh, some of my stuff, but uh, I enjoyed myself w- w- working with it and I was able to give the soloists of the band uh, a, a good um, uh, some good work, uh, including of course David Childs who was uh, mm. that before you phoned him player uh, for whom I wrote uh, one of the one of the principal one of the principal characters is uh, uh, depicted by the euphonium, mm-hmm. so uh, that, that's how the piece. Came about. And um, it was used as a test piece for the first section of the of the regionals. Um, right. In I can't remember when it was now mm-hmm. 19, uh, 2005 or something like that. And I went up to Harrogate to hear the um, the performances. Um, Pemberton, old one, so if memory serves correctly, uh, with my old friend Mark Peacock, who I knew from my fairy days. But as I was sat in the in the audience there, there's an old chap behind me. He was a very elderly man. He had hearing aids in both ears, and he said to me, "I'm the oldest man in banding. I think I'm eighty-nine, and I think this is the worst speech I've ever heard." <laughs> I think very much, sir. I wrote it. Oh, dear. <laughs> I said, I, I would have been very surprised if a gentleman of 89 had have liked it, because it's music for a different generation. Well, yes. That's exactly <laughs> so, and he, he said, oh, well, to be fair, I, better, I think I'd better hear a couple more performances. So yeah. he heard about three. And in the middle of the third performance, when uh, during one of the quietest passages, he, because remember he he was deaf in both ears, mm-hmm. he said in quite a loud voice, "It's not so bad when you've heard it a few times, is it?" <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'm sure Dick Evans could hear him in the adjudicator's. Place. Yeah.
1: This 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 um. This um, association you've had with Corey, it must give you a great deal of satisfaction to put pen to paper or however you compose these days and then actually hear it in in its uh, final version. Does it give you a big big boost when you hear a band of that calibre playing your music?
2: Oh, not half, of course. it. And what 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 is marvellous about Corey is that I've known most of them for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew a lot of the band when they were in the National Youth Brass Band of Wales, which I tutored for 10 years. Ah, uh, right. yeah. I knew them all when they were little kids who needed a clip round the ear hole, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I mean, some marvelous players came out of that band, you know. I mean, mm. Gareth Small, who's principal Trump with the Halley, yeah, wonderful Owen Farr, David Charles himself played with them. So, uh, we've had some great performers, uh, there and some great bass players, yeah, uh, uh have come out of uh, the old National Youth Brass Band of Wales. And thanks to the imaginative programming of uh, Eddie Gregson and uh people that followed him, like uh, we, had, we had Howard Snell, Jim Watson uh, and of course Bob Childs. Um, those youngsters form the basis of the wonderful brass band movement of Wales that we have today, which I think is, in, is probably healthier than most, re- most regions of, of uh, Britain or Scotland, of, of,
1: of England or Scotland. Yeah, it's 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 a phenomenon really, isn't it? I I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people put that down to the work that the the, the College of Music is doing in Cardiff, as well. Well, isn't it?
2: I think it's I think it's more than that. Um, I think it's more. Than, I, actually, okay. I, I I have to retract some of that because I'm going to get Scottish and uh, Scottish and English friends uh, berating me, <laughs> saying we've got good bands as well, and and they jolly well have indeed. Uh, but I think what is marvellous about that. Is the work that Keith Griffin did with the Welsh Amateur Music Federation, uh-huh. that supported all the um, the brass bands, the the the, uh, the youth bands, and so on, and um, WAMF, as, uh, as we call it, is a is a marvellous organisation, and it's, it's thanks to him that uh, you've got these marvellous ensembles in Gwent and and so on that have really flourished and have, have produced these 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 uh, these wonderful bands like like Tradega and and Corey. It's it's worth noting that on more than one occasion in national contests, the first and second bands have both been Welsh.
1: Mm. But it is filtering down as well. I mean, first section national champions are are Welsh. Well, I hope it is. You know, and it's it's, um, certainly the the students at the Music College, I think all but one of the brass band course uh, students are playing in brass bands in, in South Wales. In some... Well, even down to the lower sections, if you see what I mean. You know, they're really filtered right through the section, which is great. Yeah.
2: Yes, very, 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 very true. That's, that's good. very good. I, I have to, to apologise to friends, as I say, in other parts of the country, but I, I have more to do with uh, the educational scene in Wales than I've had to do with uh,
1: Scotland or, well, or. That's all right, bro. That's all right. It, I mean, it, it is the topic of conversation anyway at the moment, isn't it, in, in, in the band press about the success that uh, seems to be coming Wales' way at the moment?
2: Did you're you, you're doing something right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was all down to teaching, of course, and you taught at the uh, where was it, The Royal Academy, the London College,
2: uh, London Film School. Um, I
1: taught for twenty two years at London Film School.
2: Um, I was music consultant for twenty one years. Um, I I was the uh, head of the music department. The music department was me, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I I had help from uh, Wilfred Josephs uh, until he died, and then. Uh, Uh, A gentleman called Amit Sen was my uh, um, uh, second in command, and he now runs the the course there now. Um, I taught at the, uh, I was a guest lecturer at the Royal Academy in uh, film music composition, and I taught um, a master's degree uh, course in film music at uh, London College of Music, as well as uh, undergraduate studies as well. So uh, I I've had a fair crack of the whip and of course uh, I, in my earlier years I I taught in, in a considerable number of schools around London and other parts of the country and of course I tutored on um on Welsh uh, on on the Welsh band courses so so, so. so, what sort
1: so of, I I I'm a I'm a pretty experienced teacher. Yeah. So what sort of legacy have you left behind and we've got uh, um you know feedback from students Have they gone on to successful careers as well some of them. Um some
2: of my composer students, I taught Rob Lane, mm. who was uh, a protégé of mine, um, I taught his colleague on Merlin, Rohan Stevenson, I taught um, at the film uh, students, film director students that uh, went under my uh, tutelage, uh, included uh, Duncan Jones. Um, uh, uh, David Bowie's son, who mm. made that wonderful film uh, m- uh, Moon and, and Source Code, two marvellous feature films. Uh, I taught the sons of um, Joan Collins, though she didn't turn up to any of her son's screenings, <laughs> <of his> belief. <laughs> and uh, the great uh, conductor Sergio Chalibadaki, his son Serge um, studied with us. So... Um, uh, there were interesting clutch of students, and many of them went on to do some uh, some interesting work. And uh, there were quite a few other others that I came across at the the Royal College of Music that, uh, uh, and the Royal Academy of Music rather that that uh, have gone on to do um, good things and make. Uh, a good career for, uh, for themselves, and it is very satisfying when you uh, when you see people doing better than yourself. There's no there's no disgrace in that. I'm quite sure that uh, there was not any touch of jealousy by uh, Frank Bridge when he saw Benjamin Britten uh, get going on and getting on and becoming the yeah. uh, country's finest uh, younger uh, composer of his generation. <laughs> I'm sure he was
1: very very proud of his of his pupil there. Well, I know there's one piece I, I conducted of yours recently, and that's the Four City Symphony, which I, I really oh, enjoyed that. And the band really enjoyed doing it too. <laughs> we had pictures of, of the cities up on the wall on the boundary to try, oh, to, to try to give a bit of inspiration, you know? Yeah. Didn't drink too much uh, wine for the for the not for though. Uh, <laughs> <prison man there. laughs> OK, well, time's really slightly press now, but uh, I've got here with me in front of sort of one-sentence answers to a couple of questions. See if you can manage that. Because well, have we go. Have a you go.
2: know what I'm like. I, I can been t- for <coughs> England, Bob Charles. Well, well, I have Italian blood, you see. That's yeah, well, I,
1: I think I think I missed about <laughs> four performances in the Abbott Hall of the National Finals chatting to you in the bar, if you remember rightly. <laughs> oh, you probably did. Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, you would. <laughs> I caught the winning performance, though, anyway. Uh, right, Good. OK. So what would you rate, first of all, as your most embarrassing moment as a player or a composer, tutor, whatever? Something really embarrassed you.
2: Oh dear oh dear that's just, And that's um,
1: awkward isn't that probably in one question
2: i think um the moment the most embarrassing occasion was when i was um i was helping out at a concert at the royal festival hall with the Barnett school symphony orchestra and it was um sware was on the program I, I i was on and off the program you know like mm. like a like a jackrabbit, and it was it was a huge program with lots of different ensembles, and I got the times mixed up. And there's a number in Soiree Musicale, which is a big xylophone solo, you see.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, I'm afraid it came up to this, and all all they could hear was the with the accompaniment. I was still off stage, and I didn't realise the piece had started. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> that is the most embarrassed I've ever uh, I've ever yeah. I I remember being the the conductor nearly nearly killed me, but but didn't because he was a nice yeah. man. And he understood the problem, yeah. but it was you know, it non- terribly embarrassing. That, that, that's that's <laughs> one of my, that I, I have nightmares about. That I have yeah. I have dreams about being off stage and hearing an important solo coming up that I'm. Uh, due to play and I can't find my way onto the stage
1: yeah. You know, it's, now, it's a
2: nightmare situation
1: non-players <laughs> might think what's, so, what's the big deal but that really is a, a terrible terrible it's like oh, missing your yes. wedding isn't it it's, it's like not right. being there for your wedding
2: it's not like <laughs> not being there for your wedding I'd like to miss my funeral
1: <laughs> ah, wouldn't we all yeah. oh,
2: yes okay. I'm not afraid of death I don't want to be there when it happens yes
1: <laughs> right next question if you won the Euro Millions Lottery what single thing would you do to make brass banding a more pleasant experience?
2: Um, I think I would remove the, I would buy the national finals from uh, Phil Morris, and I would move them from the Albert Hall, which I think is an appalling mausoleum. It's too big for the uh, for the content. We can never fill it. It's in a, it's in a it's difficult to get to for some people. It's not easy for the hotels. And move it to the Royal Festival Hall, which is, would be ideal. It's just the right size. It's surrounded by restaurants, and, and you've got that wonderful vista across the Thames. And I think that would be a far more suitable wow. venue for the for the national finals than, than the Albert Hall. Um, I know the Albert Hall has got this, uh, this, uh, this, this, this sort of... Um, uh, I don't know, mythological status about it. But I think it's an awful place. It was never built as a concert hall anyway. And uh once when Sir Thomas Beecham was uh, rehearsing in there and he heard some workmen banging... Uh, in the building, he said, Oh, thank goodness, they're knocking the place down at last. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> uh, I would not be, least, not be sorry to see it go. At least the festival hall's also got a bar for us to chat in, anyway, isn't it? Indeed, it has. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Another question Um, you've probably answered this earlier on. What's the best performance you've ever played in?
2: Oh, my goodness me. Well, um, there isn't a best performance. There are there are a number of outstanding performances. Doing Tippett's Fourth Symphony under his direction is, was one. Mm. Working with Claudio Abbado and uh, playing at the Salzburg Festival with the LSO, uh, was another we had wonderful Jessie Norman with us. I remember doing uh, at the Festival Hall a wonderful Marla Three with the Bardo with Jessie. She she's a terrific singer and a lovely mm. person to work with. Um, doing the Ring and recording it for EMI uh, with Reginald Goodall, who was a genius. Uh, I don't know if you ever played for him in Wales. No, I, I missed
1: him in my time at the opera. Yeah. He
2: was fantastic. He was, he was one of the most amazing people I'd ever worked with. Doing um. Touring with the English Chamber Orchestra and doing the Bach B Minor Mass with Carl Richter. Uh, that was a great experience. And working with Sir Adrian Bolt, who could be a, an old curmudgeon when he wanted to be, but I always found him quite inspiring. Mm-hmm. And and um, uh, I don't know if this counts as being um, a great performance, but but I played Rosen Cavalier uh, at Covent Garden on Tim's for Sir George Schulte, and... I realised, of course, that George had studied the work with Richard Strauss himself. Wow! Yeah. So that was uh, that was an occasion. All, all these things are uh, things that stick stick yeah. in your
1: memory. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I couldn't pick a, a favourite either. You know, it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. No. It's impossible. <laughs> okay. Next, if you had a ride in a time machine, what performance would you like to go back to see live?
2: Live? Oh, I think um, either the world Premier of the Ring or Parsifal at Bayreuth. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, particularly Parsifal because Wagner himself conducted the closing pages. I just wanted to see how fast or how slow he took it. Uh, yes. or the the first to be in the chance theater when the of spring had his first performance that would have been quite a thing
1: it would, although
2: it? the it, it said that the the audience were making so much noise that the orchestra couldn't be heard but that would be it would have been an experience great to
1: yeah
2: heard the world premiere of that piece
1: <laughs> mm. this is what i've got at home a book called the lexicon and musical invective have you seen it? Oh, It's wonderful. It's got contemporary uh, reviews of things like the Writer's Spring, even down to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Uh, It's it's amazing things. I I think uh, the glossary at the back, it's got uh, chromatic bullock, Berlioz. (laughs) <laughs> referring to the Ophichlides, you know, something like oh, yeah. some critics said it sounded like chromatic bollocks, um, and yeah, certainly the the writer spring the critiques for the writer spring were pretty uh, pretty amazing uh, contemporary ones. Anyway, yeah okay. What about uh, I think you, again you might have alluded to it. Anything cracked you up to the extent that you couldn't play? Because when you're playing a brass instrument, of course, you cannot laugh and play at the same time. But you you, you can if you're banging a drum, presumably.
2: Uh, if you're in the pit, yes. Yeah. I mean, lots of things cracked me up um, when we were in in the pit. Um, on a concert platform, you have to try to keep. Um, that's that makes it worse. You... But, I mean, one one of the worst occasions was uh, 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 was when I was playing with uh, Roger Norrington and the London uh, uh, classical players on all, on period instruments, you see. And we were doing a. Um, a Rossini experience uh, at the uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall. And I was playing an instrument called a Jingling Johnny, or a Turkish Crescent, uh, which consists of a sort of a crescent-shaped piece of uh, uh, metal with a a kind of a a cone-shaped cap, and from it, dangle bells. And this was a percussion instrument used, it was known as the Turkish Crescent, and it was used um, in 19th century music and, and... some 18th century stuff. Um, um, Berlioz uses it in in uh, symphony um, Funebre Triomphale. And uh, Rossini writes for it in the Overture to the Italian Girl in Algiers, you see. Mm-hmm. Now, you play it by shaking it um, uh, quite, uh, quite strongly. But the trouble with the thing is is stopping it jingling. And I was on the stage <laughs> at the... <laughs> the Queen Elizabeth Hall Roger and Conducting And I couldn't Stop this thing Jingling <laughs> Every time I Moved It jingled <laughs> And Roger Norrington started to laugh. One of the flute players started to laugh and sort of, oh, sort of, sort of did a, a break in the performance. The clarinet started to laugh, and then the audience started to laugh, and it was just so funny. We could, we got through the piece somehow, but every time I put the thing down, it went jingle 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 yeah. jingle, jingle. Stop it! Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that that was, I think, uh, a moment where I, I nearly lost it. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. It's all in good fun. And we we, everybody enjoy themselves.
1: Okay. Finally, finally now, if you had another ride in that time machine we talked about, and you could go back and meet yourself right at the beginning of uh, your musical career, what single piece of advice would you give to yourself?
2: Oh goodness me! I mean, hindsight is twenty-twenty vision, isn't it? Yes. Yes. I don't know if I'd say to myself, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably say to my. I think I'd say to myself, um, if I could go back to my days in the training orchestra in Bristol, mm. when I got involved with um, other areas of broadcasting, like the radio, and I knew some television producers, to try and get myself more involved with that then. I came into films and television, uh too late at the wrong time it was all closing down i'm uh, i'm not an electronics composer i'm a live instrument composer and uh the order of the day was was electronic music in those days the bbc was busy firing off all the producers i was working with then Thames Television closed and uh, it was all, a lot of the film work was going abroad anyway. Mm. So uh, it was all getting very, very difficult. And I didn't survive because I hadn't been in it long enough. If I'd have got into it earlier, I think um, I would have stood a much better chance because those that did survive uh, were people who were already established, like Debbie Wiseman and Nigel Hess, some people like that. They were already well established when I came into the game. So it's just a case of bad timing. So I would advise myself to get into that side of it you know, at a very much earlier stage and um, probably we would be having this conversation on Skype with me in Los Angeles. yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a nice uh, home with a swimming pool in Bel Air or something like well, my friend Bruce Broughton.
1: But <laughs> yeah. well, f- From what you've said all through the interview, I don't think you regret much of it at all, do you, really?
2: Oh no, I'll do it all again.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. I'll
2: do it all again. Yes. Well, it's been
1: a really fascinating uh, insight into your your life, your career, a very long career, and a very, um, let's admit it, a very varied one as well. Goodness me. And I oh, never knew you. you'd done quite so much as you'd done. You know, we all knew you as a tuba player. Um, we all know you for the capriccio that gets played very, very often. But it's uh, to hear all about you, the background has been fascinating. I'm Rodney Newton. Oh, I just want to say thank you very much indeed for
0: joining us on. Uh, Nezion Brass thanks very much Roger.
2: my pleasure
0: please tune in next time for the second podcast where Nigel Seaman interviews Andrew Jones Andrew has made a career out of brass for over 40 years as a player conductor and brass tutor don't forget if you would like to appear in the show or would like to do a blog interview please email us via the contact page on the nezionbrass.com website this is open to players and ex-players conductors composers adjudicators or any brass related businesses in fact anyone with a brass band or brass connection so thank you for listening and catch you on the next podcast